just about a quarter of a century ago, give or take a couple of years. I took a trip to Haiti with the missions team here, and we flew on what Alan Stanford uh, affectionately called the flying tube, because that's basically what it was. He reminded me this morning that he couldn't stand up in it, and I reminded him that I could. And my fond remembrance of this flight, maybe the only one, was looking at the backs of the pilots sitting there, because you're basically in there with them. And he says something about, anybody hungry? And he goes into a little uh, cooler that he had at the side of his seat, and he starts passing back behind him Oscar Mayer Lunchables. You know, you open them up, and there they are. And then, of course, the soda started coming. But there's no restroom on this little plane. So I said, yeah, no, let that one go by. Well, I don't know if that was the last year that we flew. It might have been called Flying Tiger. I don't know. Um, But then we were introduced to Missionary Flights International with real airplanes where normal people could stand up and where they actually had a bathroom in it. And so from that day forward, it was a, a love relationship with Dick Snook and the uh, folks at MFI. And we have Dick with us this morning. Come on up, Dick. And he's going to brief us on, I'm sure they've had a lot of excitement down there, not that there's been any weather to worry about as aviators and all, but uh, we're really glad to have Dick with us this morning. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate it. No problem. Well, thank you for welcoming us back. And my sorry my wife's not here this morning. She is with me, but she wasn't feeling well this morning. She has ulcerative colitis. Some of you may experience something like that. And it attacks her uh, quickly sometimes, so she'll be down for the day. But thank you for inviting us, and thank you, Pastor Bill, for allowing us to come again. When we first got acquainted with this church, you guys were in the little house, uh, which may have been before many of you even knew about that. Maybe you didn't know they had a little house, in the little white house. And uh, we knew Alan and uh, Laura Lee from flying to Haiti and different trips. They had a heart for Haiti. So we came up here and presented MFI, and you guys began to support us and been supporting all those years. So that's been, I don't know, 20 years or more, I suppose. Lynn and I have been with Missionary Flights. We're in our 32nd year. Uh, We started in 1986. We moved to West Palm Beach then. That's where it was. And uh, I tell people we didn't necessarily go for the facilities because our office was in a two-car garage, two DC-3s, and one engine was out on one, so we couldn't fly it. only had one airplane flying. Uh, But you know, the Lord called us there. He didn't call us to the facilities. He called us to His work. And my background was Air Force, and uh, I was an AMP mechanic from the Air Force, and as well as I was able to get my uh, commercial pilot certificate while I was in the Air Force. In four years, I did all that. In reality, God did all that. I didn't know what the future was going to bring. I just was going to go back to my home after the Air Force and join my father in a well-drilling business, which I did. And I continued to work on my ratings and eventually got all the ratings I needed. And our church supported missionary flights, even when I was in high school. So I knew a little bit about it, but you know in your high school, you don't necessarily focus on the mission outreach of the church. You see the pictures up there. And after I come back and had that uh, aviation heart, uh, the president of Missionary Flights would come and visit our church, Don Belden. He'd founded it. He had no daughters. Uh, I have a family. My, i got two siblings, and so I have a, a father and mother. But Don had no sons, and he and I sort of hit it off, especially around aviation. And Unbeknownst to me, he began to pray that God would call me to missionary flights. Well, by the time we went, 
We were well-established as a family in Iowa, where we're from. We both, my wife and I, graduated from there. And uh, by the time the Lord called us, I was almost 40 years old, so look out. Just because you're 35, 40 years old, don't think, well, the Lord's done with me, I guess. I'm not, no, our life just began. We had a 40-acre farm. We was raising our kids on it. Couldn't live, make a living on it. I live, but this time I worked in town, had a good job. Four children. Uh, we had a new house we'd built on the farm. We'd owned it for about 12 or 13 years right after the Air Force. And we had a great church. I was leading the music and doing all kinds of great, wonderful things. We were satisfied with our lives. Looked like this is what we are going to be. And then I began to go down and volunteer at Missionary Flights. Be careful when you volunteer to missions. <laughs> Unless you want to go someday, and I'd encourage you to go visit missions. If you've not been on a mission trip, you need to go. It'll touch your heart, even as an example in this church of several people that you know. In fact, I think you have a small team down there now, some ladies down there now. But once you get to going, we tell people you don't visit Haiti, you experience Haiti. It has a way to touch your heart. Those kids in the the facilities and the things that they don't have down there, uh, the lack of... uh, good uh, sanitation and just goes on and on and your heart goes out to those people you want to help in any way you can so we began to volunteer at missionary flights in the winter time i go down for a week or so take some vacation and the lord began to work upon us and eventually in 1986 we decided to go even our church people thought we was crazy because we looked like the ideal christian family doing what god wanted us to do have a nice little house good family we had four kids we had a boy and a girl then we had twin girls and our girls were the light of the church. They loved to, our church people loved them. They couldn't remember which name is which, you know, because they're twins, but they see them going. And we just had a great relationship. So God called us to missionary flights. We had to raise our own support and do all that. And so we joined up in 86. We moved there. And it has been a fantastic journey. We have seen things grow, and I'll show you a couple of pictures here in a minute. Grow from that primitive two-car garage office, which was a mile or so off the airport. It wasn't even on the airport. The airplanes are out at the airport, and we had a little office, and we've seen that go to now. We have two hangars. We have a 28,000-square-foot 20, hangar in Fort Pierce. We have a 14,000-square-foot hangar <coughs> right beside it. <coughs> we have three turbine DC-3s, and the total assets MFI is over $10 million. That's God working. And I, we got to see it happen. Yes, I was there. I was helping raise the funds. I was writing the checks for those purchases of airplanes and so forth. But you know, it was God's work. I tell people that Lynn and I were like spectators watching God work at missionary flights. And so we're excited today that he is still working. And so uh, what MFI does, just briefly, some of you don't know, we fly air support to Haiti and the Dominican Republic primarily. These are missionaries who live there all the time and work. Their uh, address is our address in Fort Pierce, where we live. All their mail, all their cargo comes to us. If you and your family were in Haiti or Dominican Republic serving, in various capacity, church planting, medical, uh, orphanages, uh, just name it. There's almost any fathomless, uh, fathom thing you can think about as far as missions is there. We fly for them. And so we fly your air support. Your mail comes to us. We resort it. We have our own mail room, which is a good-sized big mail room with 460 different ministries. And we process your cargo. You order th- used to be we, did, we have a purchasing department. We'd buy a lot of things for the missionaries. They'd send us an email. And we go out and buy what they wanted and send it on the flight. We still do that. However, today, a lot of the missions have wireless in Haiti, have Internet, and they go right online to Amazon like you do, and all the Amazon packages come into our hangar, and we process them, put their uh, little sticker on them that identifies their mission, and we send it out. And they show up at the airport, and lo and behold, 
They have three or four or five hundred pounds of supplies on board. There are mailbags on board. It's an exciting time for them. And so we enjoy what we do. It keeps expanding. We keep adding airplanes. The third airplane we just added uh, was, uh, was from South Africa. A fellow from Connecticut called, and he donated that airplane to us. <clears throat> and it was in South Africa. He had started to overhaul it and get things uh, refurbished and either ran out of money or enthusiasm or something, and he quit. And so he said, you can have the airplane, donate it. Well, there were some liens against it. We had to work all that out. So I tell people the airplane was in South Africa. It didn't have any engines. It didn't have any instruments. It didn't have radios. Other than that, it was a pretty good airplane. <laughs> and the wings were off laying underneath it. So we began to end the process, and we found some engines in the United States. We sent them down, sent some props down, instruments. We hired some local guys who knew what they were doing on turbine DC-3s. And uh, last uh, May, we flew the airplane home. So now it's our hangar. It needs some refurbishing. We're trying to bring it up to speed there for, for Brother Bill because it didn't have a bathroom. It didn't have a galley. So sorry. We're working on that. <clears throat> all of our airplanes have that now. DC-3 is a unique airplane. They were all built in the 40s, and uh, ours were built in 43 and 44. The last DC-3 built was in 1945. When the war was over, they quit building them. Douglas built the airplane for four or five years from 1935 to about 40 or 41, and then the war broke out. And so the military didn't have many cargo planes, so they petitioned Douglas to build the C-47, which was the DC-3. They just modified it, put a cargo door in it. They put uh, heavier landing gear and struts on it and different things. And so every airplane flying today that I know of practically is actually a C-47. But when they came back into civilian service, they called them DC-3s. And we continue to modify them. They had round engine, piston engines, and now, of course, they have turboprop engines. We also do hurricane relief. And that's what's foremost on our hearts and minds right now. You know, when I, I retired about two and a half, three years ago so that Lynn and I could go on the road. I was a president for 21 years. I stepped down, passed the baton to one of the men who had been with us about 15 years, Joe Carabench. And uh, I knew they could run it. We'd had meetings every week. They knew how I thought and how the ministry should run. We had got a board of directors. So it was like I was almost being there, just a, you know, almost a figurehead. Uh, they were running things and thinking things, keeping things going. And I, all the time, the years I spent at missionary flights, I felt that we needed somebody on the road, sharing with people like you and all of the country. Lynn and I have been out for four months, and every, every Sunday we're somewhere. Uh, next week we're in Bangor, Maine with um, Pat Brochu. How many know Pam Brochu? You may know her. She goes to Haiti. Some of you do. She has, in fact, she got so excited, her and her husband started a ministry, and they have work in Haiti that's just their work. And they, they don't have to go through another mission. They go through their mission. So we are very busy what we do. We stay out four to six months throughout the summer. We leave our 1,400-square-foot house and go in a 160-square-foot motorhome. It's 20 feet long, 21 feet, and, and 8 feet wide. And we live in that for all summer so we can share God and share missions and share what God is doing. through. And it's kind of interesting. Sometimes we share and don't know it. A couple of days ago, I got a, an email from the office down in, in Fort Pierce. And it was a picture. He sent a picture of the back of our motorhome. And the sign above it was a split in the highway, and I was taking this turn on, on Interstate 84 going through Connecticut. So someone took our picture going down the road, and within two minutes, he called the office at MFI and said, Are you guys going to Puerto Rico? Yeah, we're going to Puerto Rico. He called his church, and he spent, spent a couple thousand pounds within a week, within a few days. It showed up at our hangar. That's, we didn't even know he was representing the Lord that way. See how God works? Me driving down the road, making the right turn. 
someone's taking our picture on the back of my motorhome. I've got Missionary Flights International. I've got a picture of an EC3. It says Fort Pierce, Florida. So that's the advertisement, you see. God works in many wonderful ways that we don't even know about. My simplicity of just simply putting it on the back when people to know who we are and we visited a church or we went somewhere. But God used that to bring in supplies. Some people don't like slides, and quite frankly, this is the first time I've shown slides in the last four months. But last night or yesterday, I went online, I started picking some pictures off our line of what we're doing right now in Puerto Rico. Yesterday, we had a flight to Puerto Rico. We've, I think that's number three. We hauled about 7,000 pounds down on DC-3 of cargo. Churches all over bring us. We've also sent 33,000 pounds on a shipping container All right, already. The hangar got kind of overwhelmed with supplies. We got a shipping container. It takes about a week to get there, a couple of days to clear, and it'll be out. We're working with a church down there, so it all goes out to the people. It doesn't get handed over to the government and so forth. So I pulled off some of these pictures so that you could see firsthand what MFI is doing. Yes, we still fly to Haiti, and we keep the missionaries supplied and all that. But Hurricane Reef, to me, is a, is a, uh, I enjoyed Hurricane Relief. It's always fun to fly that airplane into a stricken area where the trees are blown away and there's water flooding. We've landed on runways that are only half available because there's water over one end, and we could land on the other end and drop off supplies. It's so wonderful to hand, uh, you know, some, uh, some water or some food or some tarp or something to someone who just lost everything, the roof's off their house. So I want to show you these pictures and tell you a little story. So let's show those. I'll probably step over at the side. So I can see them. That's our hangar. Some of you have been there. That's the big hangar. It's actually bigger than that. The picture's uh, cut down to see the sign. And this is in Fort Pierce, Florida at the uh, St. Lucie County International Airport, actually called Treasure Coast now, International Airport. Next slide. This is our DC-3. If you don't know what a DC-3 is, well, that's it. They're capable of carrying 32 passengers, fully loaded. That's what the FAA allows. <clears throat> they'll carry our now we've got increased I'll talk about that in a minute we've increased the gross weight of the airplane by working on the wing spars and so forth and we are carrying over 7,000 pounds to uh, Dominican and we can fly uh, to Haiti we can fly over 8,000 pounds now great airplane big old cargo door in the back uh, seven feet wide six feet high you can get almost anything generators actually haul well drilling machines we've hauled horses uh, we've hauled goats and about two months ago, we hauled some um, alpacas. Do you know what they are? Yeah, we hauled some out, three alpacas. So they went to Haiti. Now, they didn't come back, so I think they're going to stay down there. So next picture. If you were to come down to missionary flights on Tuesday or Thursday morning, this is what it looked like, especially in the wintertime. <clears throat> the sun's not quite up yet. Our days are shorter like yours. This airplane is just loaded and getting ready to go to Haiti. Got its landing lights out, and it'll taxi out in the dark and it'll take off. It'll also be dark when they get home. The round trip takes about eight hours, seven and a half to eight hours of flying. The time you make the fuel stops and you make the stops at the airports in Haiti and drop off and come back, it's usually about a 12-hour day for the flight crew. Next. This is Irma. That was the first hurricane to went through. Look how big it is. And you see Puerto Rico is right there at the leading edge almost. It's almost to Puerto Rico. And, of course, the next one behind it, just a week or ten days later, was Maria. So it got hit twice. And we know... As you know, by watching the news, it's hurt uh, extremely bad. So that's a huge storm. Uh, that's about as big or bigger than the state of Texas. It's about a third the big as the United States. So that's a lot of storm. Our house survived. Uh, the storm moved over to the western part of Florida. We had a lot of water, none in, none in the house, forcing our house to build up a ways, and we were okay. Our daughter came up and stayed in our house because she lives in a little wooden house besides the water, coastal waterway, and so she stayed in our house, but everything was fine. Okay. 
this is a pastor, a local pastor that knew what we were doing. You know what is always amazing to me? How God's people respond to these disasters. Excuse me. Not only God's people, but people in general. Even though they might not be Christians, they have a heart to help people. We live in a wonderful country, folks. And these people are ready to, to respond. And so this pastor brought in several pallets. What you see there is what he, his church collected. He went to Sam's Club or wherever they went, and they bought all these supplies. Next picture. Began to fill up the hangar. These are some other supplies. These are, some, I think, some of the supplies that came in on a semi, and we put them on a shipping container and sent them down. Kept them palletized like that. This is in, inside of our hangar. See how big it is. More supplies, little airplane that uh, belongs to us. We don't use it for Haiti. We use it for other uh, opportunities of flying around the states. Next one. This is the airplane I want to tell you about. When the Her Hurricane Irma hit uh, Puerto Rico, this airplane was in Ohio. We sent it up there about six weeks prior to that. It was not quite ready to come home. And we was able, just to show you what they did, this airplane, when they put the turbine engines on, they stressed the fuselage 40 inches. So that makes more capacity in the airplane. The turbine engines make a world of difference to the aircraft. Went from 1,200-hour flight time for overhauls to 6,000 hours. Now what we did to this one, we put a spar strap. We can carry 2,000 pounds more weight in it than it was originally designed for. We've redesigned the wings in that area, beefed up that area so it can haul. All for missions. It's not so that we can just fly a heavy airplane. That's maybe fun, you know, like, like you guys, your trucks, you like a bigger truck or whatever. It's not just for that purpose, it's to fly for missions. So that, that many more dollars, be more efficient. We'll be able to overfly some fuel stops where our most expensive fuel is, all in the name of efficiency to serve the Lord with our equipment, with our pilots and, and the expense. A lot of expense to flying airplanes. Next one. There's some more supplies. It's about the same as, I guess, we kind of, did we go backward there? I don't know, maybe I put it in twice. There's what it looks like inside the airplane. We have a cargo netting system. Once it's all cargo, now if we had passengers, we'd redesign all that, put seats in, so forth. But this is the load going down to, I believe, the Turks and Caicos Islands, 86 or 700 pounds. Okay, next. Generators. My daughter called me during after the storm and said, my church in West Palm Beach, she said, wants to help. What can we do? We've got $2,000 that the church guys have said that can be used. I said, well, I know they need generators, and they want to go to Puerto Rico. I said, let's get some generators, and some, so they got some diapers. Now, they used all their $2,000. Those generators are about 1300 about 650 or so apiece. The guys went and bought them. They put them in the hangar, and you can't see it, but up in the corner it says, before these are sent, contact Dick Snook. So I was in control of where these going to go. Wasn't sure where to go. I hadn't, you know, our daughter wanted to go someone they knew or someone that really, you know, where does it go when it gets there? That's kind of what they wondered. Well, we have a little, let's go to the next picture. I don't know if it's up yet. This gal right here with the blue dress on, she started working on missionary flights last spring, and she is Hispanic. She's bubbly. She just gets the job done. I call her from wherever I happen to be and say, Luina, Luina, I need some more literature. Or can you give me this address? Or I need a pastor's phone number. Bang, bang, bang. She just faxes me, or not fax, but they text me right away. Within an hour, I've got everything I need. Very efficient. I got to think about the generator and where it should go in Puerto Rico, and I called Luina. I said, Luina. Don't you have family in Puerto Rico? Yeah, I do. My cousins, my uncles. we got all kinds of family. And I said, have you heard from them? Nope, not heard a thing. It's been 10 days, hadn't heard anything. And I said, well, do you think they need a generator? So I know they need a generator, but she says, they're poor. They can't afford one. And I said, Louina, that's not what I ask. Do they need a generator? She said, yes. I said, you go out there in a hangar. It's got my name on it. You pick one of those generators, and we'll get that down to your family. 
Then I said, I said, I'm not the president anymore, but I said, would you walk into Joe's office and tell Joe that I think, you know, that you ought to go on the flight. Louina ought to go on the flight. She couldn't believe that she could even do something like that. So she went on the flight, she took the generator, and she handed it to her family. And that's her family. That was taken to Puerto Rico with Louina and her cousins as they at the airport receiving the generator. Go next. This was some of the men that unloaded the generator. This is Puerto Rico. So these are the men that helped unload the airplane. They just lined up and take pictures. We work with a, with a Calvary Chapel group down there who's a big church, and they're accepting the supplies. They're distributing amongst their people. They're getting them out in the countryside where they can be used. Sometimes all that stuff stops at the, at the capital, and no one out in the country gets them, and they need it too. Next one. This is a generator at in Puerto Rico. There's one of the cousins. Sears got her thumbs up. The generator's running, sitting there in the, outside their house. The next video. This is a refrigerator. When I saw it, I told Luina, I said, I think your family needs to go shopping. There's some mustard over there, some coffee creamer, and a few little odds and ends. And she said, no, 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 not the food. The light's on. The generator's running. That's what they were trying to show us. But the generator, see the light's on the refrigerator. And there's been several, you know, a couple weeks before they had electricity, since they had electricity. Next one. <clears throat> this was her uncle. He is a diabetic, bad diabetic. He had to keep his uh, insulin refrigerated, and that was tough for them, trying to find some ice or something to keep it cool. He's got an electric hospital bed to rear him up. Of course, that wouldn't work. Uh, he has a stomach pump. He has lots of things, and he was deteriorating his health, even worse than what he already was. So let's see the next slide. This is when some of them came home. I think it's the last one. But let me tell you the finished story. Uh, a couple of days ago, I think on Thursday, uh, he, that, young, that gentleman got worse, and we had a flight to Puerto Rico. <clears throat> and so uh, we said, we'll bring him out if he needs to come out. So he and some of his nieces and nephews and family came out with us. And now he's in Orlando. Got a report yesterday from Luina that he's doing really well. They're attacking everything. He's, his stomach problems, his insulin, and the all the issues that he has, and he's in good health at this point. He's improving and getting better. So, folks, because you support us and missionary flights, this is what you're doing. You don't always know. I can't always come up here and tell you. I wish we could take all of you to Puerto Rico and just see what the damage is and help unload the airplane. We get a lot of requests from pastors say, I want to go along and help unload the airplane. Well, do we take a 200-pound pastor or do we take a 200-pound generator? We take the generator. We've got guys to unload. I know they like to go. And occasionally, of course, people can fly with, or do, do fly with us. But on situations like this, every pound is so necessary and so critical. A little DVD I want to show you right quickly. It's about eight minutes long. It's called The Lives We've Touched. But I tell people in reality, it's the lives you've touched. You know, when you support a missionary, sometimes you just think about the check that the church wrote or you see the a financial statement and how much you gave this missionary and that missionary. You may see a picture of them on the board someplace and remember to pass, uh, pray for them as you pass by. But, you know, they're doing things and representing you. We're all the body of Christ. We just happen to be the ones out in the front line doing the, the hands-on. You guys, without you guys, we couldn't buy the fuel. We couldn't buy these airplanes. We couldn't do the things we do uh, that, that we are allowed to do, and, and God gives us a privilege to do, serve. So I like to rename this little video. It's called The Lives You've Touched. There's four stories you're going to see in this video. The first one is about a blind Haitian cook. And you, can you, it cooks for a school of 1,200 kids. Ladies, can you imagine cooking at blind? 
Now, I will admit their, their diet is pretty bland, usually beans and rice, maybe some goat meat thrown in, a big pot, and they stir it up and, and cook it for a few hours till it boils, and then that's what the kids eat. So it's fairly simple, but still, blind, going to work every day. Well, the mission ran out of food. The pastor said, the blind lady, don't come to, to work for a few days. We have no food. The kids will have to fend on their own, whatever they can find. And many times, the only food they get is that day at school, that hot meal at school. <clears throat> MFI found out about it. We have a, a feed packing process in our hangar once a year, and we do about 25 pallets of food. We work together with Feed My Starving Children. And so they come down. We have 600 people show up in the hangar. We shove the airplanes out, and we pack food. About 125 to 30,000 meals are packed and then kept in our warehouse and ready to go where they need to go. We had a, if a missionary requests it, it gets it. We hold it back some maybe for a hurricane relief or some relief effort, but eventually throughout the year it's gone. We start over again in January. We sent 3,500 pounds of food down to the, to the Haitian lady who had no food. The second story is about a little work team, a teenage work team that went to Haiti to do some work and how God used them and touched their lives. They're from Iowa. That's where we're from. In fact, they're from a town where my son-in-law works, Pella, Iowa, where the Pella windows are made. And that's where they're from. That's a very active community there for missions and mission and Haiti. And so they sent a team down to pour a concrete floor into, into buildings for Haitians, for the Haitian uh, homes. The third one is about a medical situation, a piece of equipment that went down. And had people come in to do some uh, uh, different medical procedures, and the equipment wouldn't work. They got a hold of MFI, sent the part out. We had a reprogram, sent it back in. It worked and got the job done. The last one is about a baby that was two and a quarter pound. Her name is La Vie, which means life in Haiti, in the Creole. She weighed two and a quarter pounds. She was born eventually healthy enough or breathing enough, and she was a feisty little girl. Her mother took her home, but her mother mentally went off. She had seven other children. She just disappeared. So the dad's trying to raise this family, keep this little baby alive. And after about ten days, she brought the, he brought the little baby back to the clinic and said, she won't die, fully expecting her to die. I mean, that's what happens to Haiti. There's not all the fancy equipment in some of the places, and, you know, babies come and go. Uh, it kind of reminds you of years ago in our country when babies were born, little, not many facilities, way out in the country somewhere, and you go to a cemetery, many times you'll see two or three little stones of babies that die because they didn't have the care. You brought her back, well, she survived. And she's a vital little three- or four-year-old girl now. You'll get to see that. So remember, these are the lives you've touched. Missionary Flights International works in partnership with missionaries and church leaders in the Caribbean. Every year we carry close to 350 tons of cargo and 3,000 Christian workers to the Bahamas, the Dominican Republic, and Haiti. But we carry much more than cargo and people. We are not UPS, FedEx, or American Airlines. We are not the same. Inside each box and within every heart are gifts of life and love, health and hope, comfort and encouragement to God's frontline workers. We carry people, missionaries, work teams who give vacation time to serve, people with hearts full of precious gifts for those in desperate need. Pion, a sleepy town of 40,000 people in the central plateau of Haiti, is isolated from major cities by poor roads. 
Each week, our planes carry precious gifts and caring people to Pion to help Christian workers who tell us they cannot minister effectively without us. Since 1993, Hosean International Ministries has operated a secondary school and feeding program for over 1,200 children. Recently, the school staff did not have enough food for its kids. When Madame Sarami, the school's blind Haitian cook, heard the sad news, she dropped to her knees. She raised her hands to heaven. Oui, bon, je connais cette organisation, vous voyez, même pas de connaître, est-ce que c'est nous-mêmes qui dévouons là Eh bien, béni soit l'éternel au nom de Jésus. Merci. Many career missionaries can point to a short-term mission opportunity that radically changed their outlook and started them on a lifetime of missionary service. Because of MFI, American Christian workers have had their eyes opened to the fields that are ready for harvest. They carry home in their hearts a new and deep love for the people they just served. MFI flies lots of groups to Pion in support of the ministry, Many Hands for Haiti. Today we are doing a cement floor. We have statistics that show if a family has a cement floor, that the health of the people that live in the house uh, would be improved. We see that project as just an all-around win for everybody. First of all, we purchase materials locally. We have workers that are from this area as well. We have a short-term team. It's a great project for people to be working together. Many Hands for Haiti has the philosophy of a short-term team comes in and blesses the people here, but the Haitian people have as much to teach and the Americans have as much to learn. So we feel God kind of makes that a continuous cycle. It's been incredible so far. The people, they're so loving, they're kind, and in the end it's going to be changing me more than it's going to change them because they get a chance to see how they can receive things here and how much joy they can have when they have nothing and it gives you a perspective on what we have and how unhappy people can be when they have everything they need to be happy. We're so thankful for MFI. It is a connection for us as individual missionaries, a link for supplies and uh, materials that we don't have the opportunity to get, also for bringing in short-term teams. Anytime a team can come with an MFI uh, flight, we take it every time. 
Since 1978, the Hospital of Bienfaisance has served the greater Pion area and much of the central plateau. Haitian doctors and visiting surgeons undertake delicate procedures to save lives, but they depend on the proper functioning of their operating room equipment, and that's where MFI came in. So as you can see, this equipment that we have here, it's a CM X-ray. It's basically used uh, in the OR to do the bones whenever they have surgery, and also to put uh, pacemakers for patients. We had four patients scheduled to come over to put a new pacemaker, and right before they came, the machine was not working. And I was able to contact an engineer in the United States to see how they can help me. The engineer told me that we have to pay $1,100 US to have it fixed. And I say, hey, look, at we are a charitable hospital. Well, we are trying to help. Can you find a way to help us? And he said, you know what? If you send me the SRAM card, I can reprogram it for just $10. And there was no way to send it back to him if MFI was not there. And then I sent it to the guy who reprogrammed it for just $10. And when I received it and I just put it back into the machine, it was working great. And I have to tell you that, frankly, if this CM X-ray was not working, these four patients would not be able to have their pacemaker done. So that was a blessing to have MFI here that can serve the hospital in particularly and generally the, the community. The Haiti Home of Hope Orphanage and Infant Feeding Program is led by Bill and Jennifer Campbell. It is a place where children are raised with lots of love, prepared to become strong and productive Christians in their community. The Campbells have welcomed, nourished, taught and prayed for each child that the Lord has brought to their home of hope. Then one day, a very special child changed their lives forever. When she came, even at two and a quarter pounds, she could scream loud enough to ring my ears, which was shocking. I expected her to be very quiet and docile, which she was not. Her first bed was an old-fashioned red hot water bottle. We would fill it about every hour and a half. We would change the water to keep it warm and just wrap her up in a towel. But that's what she would sleep on. She was so small. Then I would just pray and think, no, we're, we're doing the right thing. This is, this is what we're supposed to be doing. We sent a message to Kenny Gumpel because he knew he, he was coming on a peon flight and said, we've got this baby and we need some stuff. And between him and the other pilots, they managed to gather up everything we needed. We were feeding her with a little syringe until MFI brought in these little bottles. And so then we were able to feed her with a bottle. And now to see the result, and you've, you've seen her just running through the house and through the yard. And, full of life and joy. What is your name? Yeah. 
whether we provide food in response to the prayers of a blind woman with great spiritual vision, or open the eyes of young Americans to the Great Commission, or assure the delivery of critical equipment that will save lives at a hospital, or help to save the life of a little girl whose very name means life. MFI carries people in boxes filled with hope, encouragement, faith, and life abundant life in Jesus Christ. We are blessed to serve over 420 missions in Haiti, the Dominican Republic, and the Bahamas. Together with you, we are sowing the seed and reaping God's bountiful harvest. But this is not enough. We want to carry life to more places and people. By God's grace, we are preparing to serve in Cuba and Central America. Thank you for your partnership. Come with us, and together we will discover God's unfolding plan for Missionary Flights International. Well, quite a story, huh? Thank you. <clears throat> Just keep in mind, that's the lives you've touched. So when you see that accounting sheet and the mission dollars that are going out, keep in mind, this is what's happening. And I, like I said earlier, I wish I could just take all of you down there and spend some time with those people and uh, see what God is doing, how exciting they get when the airplane comes in, uh, knowing that there's supplies on there for them. We send an email the day before the flight. So the missionaries know what's coming. They have a kind of an idea. They've ordered stuff, but is it on the flight? Well, they know the day before that it is. Just a verse I'd like to share with you before we uh, close this morning. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. And what is happening here was Paul was realizing he was getting old. I'm sure no one ever here has ever realized that, but I have. <clears throat> you get up in the morning, you're a little stiff, or you... You don't see as well as you used to. You're getting old. We're all getting old. Paul realized that, and he began to work on passing the baton to Timothy, his son in the faith. He led him to the Lord. He trained him. He brought him under his wing. He mentored him. And so it came time, and in my case, about three years ago, I passed the baton to Joe. I knew it was time for me to move on. I've seen ministries. I've seen churches where sometimes the leadership and the pastor and leadership stay too long. And the younger guys get discouraged and they can't do things. I didn't want that to happen in missionary flight. It's too vital. It's too vibrant. And I didn't want to stick around so long. They thought, well, if we don't do Dick's way, I guess it won't get done. Oh, there's some good ideas out there behind me and young, young men. And so that's why I did what I did. At about 68 years old, instead of 75 or 80, I decided to step away and let the young guys do it. So Paul here in this verse is passing a baton to Timothy. And he's reminiscing a little bit of his life. And that's part of what getting old is all about, reminiscing. How you can look back in your life and see how God worked. When things may have been happening, you could not figure out. Why is this happening to me? Why am I doing this? In 1968, I was in Vietnam. I went to the Air Force a couple years prior to that. And uh, I was working on four-engine prop planes for the Air Force, flying to Africa and different places. I was a crew chief. To My job was to maintain the airplane when it was en route in, traffic, in, uh, in foreign countries' trans, uh, tra uh, transit, then my job was to make sure the airplane's ready to fly the next morning. And I got orders to Vietnam, and I got over there, and here's a set of four-engine plane, just like I've been working on. 
for the last two years. Oh, no, man, this is great. And this airplane is all spit polished. It's beautiful. It was not camouflaged like a lot of them. It was assigned to U.S. Uh, or the U.S. ambassador to Vietnam was Ellsworth Bunker. His wife was U.S. ambassador in Nepal, so about Wednesday or Thursday, they'd crank up that airplane. They'd fly to Nepal, spend the weekend, come back on Monday, spend a couple of days in Vietnam. But, man, this is going to be my duty. This is gravy duty. But they didn't assign me to the DC-6 DC that I hoped for. They put me on the C-47s, the DC-3. I was disappointed. I fussed with them and said, look, I've got all my training. I've got all my records. I show I should be working on that airplane. You know, in the military, you generally don't tell them what to do. It's kind of the other way around. So they assigned me to the DC-3s. We call them C-47. Mine were EC-47, electronic snooping. Now, I didn't ask to go to Vietnam. I did sign up for the Air Force, but I didn't ask to go to Vietnam, even though some of our guys did. Some of our young men, single, wanted to go, and they did sign up and, re and volunteer. But, you know, God knew exactly what he was doing. In 1968, was over 16,000 Americans killed in Vietnam. I was there during a Tet Offensive. 600 people died and about two GIs died in about two days during the Tet Offensive. I was, it, they attacked our base. I was in Saigon, Tatsunut. I didn't ask for that duty. I didn't want to be there. Found out my wife was expecting as soon as I got to Vietnam, I want to be home with her. You know, God had a plan. He knew in my life that down the road, I need to know everything I need to know about a DC-3 because I've been working and flying them for 30 years. I'm glad the Lord kept that airplane going long enough. I didn't have to learn another one. I just got stuck with that one, and here we go. Paul said in verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, speaking to Timothy, that he enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And he goes on to say what kind of a person he was before he was saved. Paul was a pretty rough guy, wasn't he? He was killing Christians. I believe God was enabling Paul to be what he became even before he was saved. He went to the right schools. He knew the Jewish law. He knew where the Jews were coming from and all their uh, bureaucracy and all their uh, rules and regulations and laws that they had. And God used that when he got saved for Paul's advantage, because when he walked in the synagogue, he knew how those guys thought. He knew how the Pharisees thought. He knew what they're thinking, because he was one of them one time. And so as I look back on my life and see what God has done, I realize that God enabled me. The word enable simply means to help somebody. Maybe you've enabled your child to ride a bicycle. You've worked with him and taught him. And maybe you've enabled your child to go to college because you worked hard, made sure he went. You've done a lot of things in your life to enable someone else. And I believe that probably God has done something in your life to enable you to serve him. The Bible tells us that all Christians have a gift. Your gift is different than mine. Not many people here have flown hours, six, seven, whatever I have, six, seven thousand hours in DC-3s. But I haven't worked in a hospital. I've never saved a life. I've never worked in a situation that maybe many of you have. And I believe God, God gives us different gifts to use for him. And then he enables us. As I look back at my life and see things that happen, I didn't plan any of those things. At the time, I wondered what was going on. Even at MFI, even after we got established MFI, there was times there I wondered what God was doing. We shut the operation down for a few months one time because it was getting bad engines, and our engines started failing. It was crazy. We'd fly a flight and come back, have to shut an engine down, change the cylinder, do some work to it, maybe change the whole engine. That got to be crazy. And I said, we're going to kill somebody. We can't do that. We just stopped the operation. I didn't know what God was doing. He hadn't given me many clear thoughts at that point. We got some new engines, got things re-engined. I chartered some airplanes to take care of the missionaries and all that sort of thing. 
But that was a time when we didn't know what God was doing. But you know what came along? Turbine DC-3s. We've been flying them since 2001. We've never lost an engine, never shut an engine down. They just run. I tell people, like, turn it on your ceiling fan. Just flip the switch. It runs till you get through, and you shut it off. Everything in a turbine DC-3, the whole shaft from the beginning to end runs the same direction. Very little maintenance. They run 6,000 hours. That's how God took care of our operation with turbine DC-3s. For five years, the airport in Palm Beach tried to push us off the airport. We fought it tooth and toenail. We hung on by our, our, our fingernails. Uh, news media was on our side. Our churches were on our side. We didn't know what was happening. Why is God pushing us off the airport, allowing this to happen? They wanted all jet airplanes on the airport. They didn't want uh, piston airplanes like ours, even the small ones they wanted off. So we fought and fought, and finally, kind of seeing the handwriting on the wall, Lynn and I got in the car, and we started driving to other airports. It must be an airport someplace. You know, we can't just park the airplanes out in the street and wait till we figure this out. You know, they're pretty big, a 95-foot wingspan. So we ended up in Fort Pierce, and we ended up at a hangar that was going to be leased. They wanted to lease half of it to the only hangar we could find. They wanted to lease half of that hangar to us for $11,000 a month. And I wasn't too excited about that because it's like leasing out half your garage. Who would be where at the right time? We said, no, we're not interested. The city, the county said, we'll let you build a hangar if you want. We'll lease you some land, and you go at it. So we started working with a contractor and an architect and start working. We just kept adding things to this building, and it kept getting bigger bigger as we were designing it. Finally, one day, I said, you know, that big hangar over there has everything we need. It has a welding shop. It has a warehouse, it has offices, it has a, a, a paint booth to paint parts on the airplane. We went back and talked to the gentleman, and to make a long story short, he sold the, the, the hangar for about the same amount of money we was going to build one for, and the new hangar is, 20, is twice as big. God took care of it. We sweated that five years wondering what in the world God was going to do. We actually just kind of felt like we were beating our head against the wall, you know, even praying and praying, and all of us, the whole staff, were just, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? We knew the missionaries needed us. We had a stack of affiliations about this high on my desk asking for a service. But you see, God worked it out. God enables his work to go on. But there's another part of this verse that sometimes we forget. Because he counted, Paul says, he counted me faithful. You know what? That's our part. Each one of you, including me, and your pastor have a will. And we can walk away from God's call in our life and what he's able to us to do anytime we want. It's happened. You know pastors and you know missionaries who've gotten discouraged and just walked away and said, I guess it's not for me. We can walk away. Paul didn't walk away. He remained faithful. And that's our part. Are we faithful to God's call in our life? Do we do what God wants us to do? Uh, do we use our talents to uh, further the gospel here in Waterville or in Maine or in Haiti or wherever it might be. You know, we as Christians are left here for a purpose, not to enjoy music or to enjoy good preaching and then just go out and say, well, that was a good Sunday. Now everything's back to normal. Now just forget about the world that's dying and going to hell. We need to remember those folks. Remember those people in Haiti who need this, the salvation, who need the Lord. And so there's different ways you can get involved in missions. It can be just local in different ways. But I'd encourage you to determine in your life what God has enabled you. What talent has he given you? One time I flew a, a guy to Haiti. He sat in the jump seat behind me. We're flying along, and I said, well, what are you going to do in Haiti? He said, I don't know. He said, my church got this group up, and he says, I'm a lawyer. He said, what am I going to do? And I don't know how to do anything, but 
be a lawyer, legal things, and sat in my office and counsel and all those things. He said, I can't even speak the language. I don't know what I'm going to do in 80. A week later, I'm flying the airplane back, and guess what? Here's the lawyer. He comes up the jump seat and sits behind me. And I said, well, what did a lawyer find? He said, I had a riot down there. I, I, I planted a fence post. I dug some ditches for a latrine. He just went on and on, listened to all the things. Nothing about lawyers. He just simply made himself available. And that's what God wants us to do, and just make ourselves available. He'll enable us. You see what Paul says here? Paul didn't say, I enabled myself by my education and all the things that I did. And that's part of it. That's part of the enabling. But he wasn't pointing to himself. He said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord that he enabled me. It's God that enables us to serve him. But we have to be willing. We have to be that person who is faithful, that person who is willing to be counted faithful in doing what God has asked him to do for us. So I hope this morning, as you consider your life and consider missions and all that you've seen, what are you doing in your life that's making an impact on the world? Maybe just your world. Maybe your neighborhood. Uh, maybe this church. I don't know where it is. I don't know where your world is. I know God isn't going to call all of you to Haiti or different places. He might call some of you. Just a little encouragement to me. Uh, several years ago, back in the 90s, there was a couple in Haiti. They were both nurses. He's a nurse and she's a nurse. Hardworking, great people, loved the Lord, working in a hospital in Haiti. And they had three little girls, and they're about the same age as our twins, and our twins would go down on our flight, and they'd stay with them for a week and have a great time fellowshipping. The girls got the age where they kind of need to be in, in a little higher education, junior high, high school. So they came home, assuming, I'm assuming, and I don't hope about them, that they probably wouldn't go back. They went back a few times to visit and help out. And I got an email last night, or actually a text last night. In June, they felt the Lord's call to go back to Haiti. Their kids are all grown. They have grandkids. They're all established in their jobs up in Pennsylvania. And Mike and Don Vandervoort took six months. The Lord supplied their, their funds, and they're going back to Haiti to serve full-time. That call doesn't change, does it? If you study the Bible and you look at it from Abraham all the way through, when God had a plan for a man, he held him to it. Moses tried to get out of it, didn't get out of it. If God's got a plan for you, he expects you to do it. And he wants you to do it. Are you faithful? Are you willing to step out? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to serve you today. We thank you for this group of folks here who are very uh, mission-minded. We know they send teams out. And yet, Lord, we know that some here might just watch people go. And so we pray that they'll be challenged to at least pray for those who are on the field. They might give. You've blessed some with finances that can do that. Others who can do something locally, uh, maybe their health doesn't allow them to go to a place like Haiti, but they can do something locally. Help us realize that we're here for a purpose, not just for our own enjoyment and not just for uh, retirement and sit down and enjoy things, but in fact to share the gospel with others around. Our life is short, and the longer older we get, the more we realize that. So we pray for the church, we pray for the leadership, we're thankful for their, all they do for missions and they've done for missionary flights over the years. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.